cool thing about this sermon today is that um, Pastor, Pastor John asked me about, uh, about a month ago to, you know, if I would speak because Pastor Paul wasn't going to be here. And um, I like when things like this happen because, you know, a couple things went in my heart. And um, where, this, where this comes from, it says, where is my spiritual growth? Justification is sanctification. It kind of ties into what, what John taught last week, and we didn't discuss anything that we were going to teach. And those kinds of things are cool to me because that gives me confidence that the Lord is behind the things that are being taught. And um, last year um, at our youth retreat, we had Ben Buckner uh, speak, and he taught on uh, justification. And it was really cool, like, um, the way he broke it down for our teens, so for them to understand uh, the justification but the thing that I want to talk about here, and I taught this in youth group about a year ago, was going from justification to sanctification. So that's where this sermon comes from. It's uh, where is my spiritual growth? And um, while you guys have your Bibles, you can start turning to Hebrews 11. I mean, excuse me, Hebrews 5, uh, verses, uh, starting at verse 11 through uh, chapter 6, verse 1. And so before we start, let's give a little review of last week while you're, you're going through that. So last week, you know, when uh, John was preaching, uh, he, started, he started out with this. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's in Romans 8.31, one of my favorite verses um, in the Bible. It's just a powerful verse. And he asked the question is, do we believe that? You know, if we believe that we have a God that is for us, who can be against us? Our lives should reflect that. There should be some difference in our lives. There's something to prove that that's true. Uh, another point he made was, why is prayer last? He gave the uh, example of um, him and his dad. They did a mowing business, and um, you know they had a problem with one of the mowers, and so they tried everything that they could, and they could not get this thing to work. And so the last one, they couldn't figure out anything else. He just said, all right, fine, let's pray. You know, And they prayed last, and then they were able to get it work. And so it's like, why is prayer the last thing we do? If we believe that there is a God that is for us, why is prayer the last thing we do? Uh, next point he made was like faith. Our faith needs to be like a child. And he used this verse, Mark ten thirteen through 15. It says this. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For, such, for to such things belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he made this point, and it's the only point he got to. He had a whole other back page that was empty that I wanted to get to, but he left that uh, blank. But on uh, the point that he got to says, a, child, a childlike faith is not an immature faith, but rather a pure faith based on truth. And then this is kind of where I'm going off of for today is that a childlike faith does not mean our faith is immature, but rather it's a pure faith based on truth. And so that's the, where we're going from justification to sanctification. And so um, as we're going to get into it, we're going to, I'm going to have a word of prayer um, before we start. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for um, being who you are, God. Thank you so much for uh, loving us, God, for um, having your word, Lord, giving your son for us. So I just pray now, Lord, um, that your Holy Spirit is completely at work here, Lord, is working through me, that your words are the ones that come out, Lord. And um, Lord, I just pray for 
open hearts, Lord, that the seeds that are planted, Lord, go into good soil. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let me ask ask this a question. And I want your answers, if you can think of the answer. The question is, is there anything that's living that doesn't grow or mature? I did a Google search yesterday for probably 15 to 20 minutes to find out this answer. So does anybody know the answer to that question? Is there any living thing that isn't meant to, to grow or mature? Anybody? Nobody knows? Huh? No. Nobody knows? Actually, the answer to that is no, there is no living thing that isn't meant to grow or mature. Actually, what defines something as living, one of the characteristics of a living thing is that it grows and matures. Only things that don't grow or mature at some point in time is, is something that's dead. There are no living things that's not meant to grow or mature. So I have a video that I want to kind of show you to kind of get us thinking about this. And I want you to, I want your natural reactions to this video. So after the video's over, I want you guys to tell me what you think of it. So you can get that up for me. I like to play or be treated as a baby. Hi, puppy. Um, Just to get the love and affection, safeness. Basically, just go back to a time where you're caring for a one- or two-year-old, and uh, that's what it is for me. Okay. 29-year-old Stanley Thornton spends around half his life pretending to be an infant. He calls himself an adult baby. With being a doll baby, I've had a couple different reactions, some good, some not so good. Um, I've had some people that are perfectly fine with it, and I've had others that are just angry, like they think that it's an automatic, that you're a pedophile because you're into it. Stanley shares a house with former nurse Sandra Diaz. She's not Stanley's mom, but is happy to play that role. I love him like he's my favorite nephew. He's like my family member who lost his mother, and it's like I'm the aunt stepping in saying, it's okay, I'm still here for you. To step into Stanley and Sandra's modest home is to enter a fantasy world. Where a grown man plays with Legos, sucks on a pacifier, is spoon-fed, uses baby talk, and even wears a diaper. It's a life of make-believe that many would consider taboo. So what do you think? People do some crazy things in this world, I, I have to say. But here's the, here's the question, though. What are some of your, the words that come to your mind? Sick? What? Sad? Lost? Mentally challenged? They're up. All right. Some of the ones I got in early service was uh, disturbing, um, disgusting. All those kinds of things. But think about this for a second. 
some of our spiritual life looks like that. We should have the same kind of distaste. We should have the same kind of words if somebody's spiritual life is like that one of an adult baby. We should think it's sad. We should think it's, it's disgusting. We should think that it's disturbing. If people are, who are believers and they're still immature in their faith. That's why John put, put that on there, that it's not, it's a, a childlike faith is not immature. It's pure. He gave the example of Johnny. He said if, you know, he had Johnny's help here and said, jump to me, Johnny would jump. It's not based on immaturity. It's based on ch- uh, trusting his father. It's, it's based on knowing that his father's going to catch him. A pure faith. It's not immaturity. So having a faith like a child is not licensed to say, I'm have an immature faith. But some of our faith is like that. We have an immature faith. One time, in, uh, this is probably like five or six years ago, um, or maybe a little bit longer. I was probably, you know, saved for maybe like three or four years at the time. And um, I, had, I was in youth group. And, um, and so I asked the, the, the kids in youth group, like, how, many guys, how long have you guys have been saved? And some of them was like, well, I've been saved since five, so I'm 15 now, so 10 years. You know, some were saying more. And asked the question, why am I teaching you? You know, some of you guys, like some people have been Christians for five, 10, 15, 20 years. But our faith can still be immature. Our faith could look like that guy that's on the screen and says, you know, they want to be a baby. And they're content with being a baby. And the, and the reason why we should, should be disgusted, and the reason why we should think it's sad, is because that was not Jesus' point of saving us. His point of saving us was not so we can stay as a baby Christian. He didn't come to make converts. He came to make disciples. And the disciple was somebody who, who was a learner from the master, but it's just not, I just not learn things, but you, replica, you replicate the master. Whoever is, whoever is your master, whoever is teaching you, Jesus is the teacher. He comes to hear and he comes to teach us and we're supposed to go and do the same. The commission that he gave in Matthew 28 was to go throughout the world and make disciples. And so if the disciples job was to go throughout the world and to make disciples, then what you think the next person they discipled, what were their job to do? Go and make disciples. And their job was to go and make disciples. It wasn't to go and just get people to believe, you know, what we believe, and that's it. It was to go and make disciples. And I've written down here, um, a disciple is a, a learner who accepts and then helps spread the doctrine of the teacher. So what does an immature faith look like? And this is where you're at in your passage in Hebrews um, 5.11. And it says this, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. But these passages has a lot of stuff in it. 
And there's a couple things I want to I want to point out. The very first the very first verse that we read, it says about this. We have much to say, but it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. One thing of an immature faith that you can see is that people become dull of hearing. It probably should have been um, translated. Listen, because there's a difference between hearing and listening. And I use this all the time. Hearing has to do with just sounds. You guys make a bunch of noise. I can hear, but that doesn't mean I'm listening. You know, I say this to uh, the guys at Youth Center all the time. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, but are you listening? You can hear the words, but listen, listening has to do with understanding. And so one thing that people do, to, one of the first things is people become dull of understanding. It says by this time you ought to be teachers, but we have to keep being taught again the basic principles of God. Um, another example is um, in youth group. We have a thing called um, hangout night. And so what we do is that we have, um, a, we have boxes for the guys and a box for the girls, and we have them put questions in there. And, you know, the last Wednesday every month that, you know, we'll try to take some time to answer those questions, like 10 to 15 minutes, and then we'll just hang out so we can build relationships with the teens and um, get to know them. Um, but the, I think it was back in February or January um, with the guys, they didn't have one. So I always come prepared with a question. And I asked the question, what's the gospel? The answer they gave me was, well, it's Jesus. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sin. And if I believe that, I go to heaven. The gospel is so much more than that. That is something that my seven-year-old AJ, that's, that's how he understands the gospel. But the gospel has so much more in depth. And I was like, okay, I don't want the church answer, the thing that you've learned in Sunday school growing up. Give me some more. And then somebody said, man, we always talk about this. And I said, because we need to keep teaching the basic principles of the oracles of God, because this time you ought to be teachers. What is the gospel? I mean, the gospel has to do pretty much with a rebellion issue. Just like Willis said after one of the songs, it's, it's, a, it's a rebellion issue. Like one, one phrase I like to say is, I'm a beggar who found bread. See, everybody's a beggar. I'm no different than anybody else. I just found bread, and I am just want everybody else to see it. So that means there's no difference between me and a person who murders. You know, the world will look at that and says, oh, man, you're a much better person. No, it's not. I'm not a better person. The difference is because the, the similarities that we have is that we both rebel against God. What his results in murders, mine just results in I want to live my own life. I want to do what I want to do. But, it's, but each, whatever it is, is both rebellion. And so with God being a judge, being a good judge, he has to deal with rebellion. If he, for him to be a good judge, he has to deal with it. And so this is the problem. I think a lot of times when we, we talk about, you know, the gospel, we only hear the love aspect of it. I mean, that's the main, that's the power of it. But to understand that God is a judge that has to deal with the sin issue, have to deal with the sin problem, that he's going to terminate it. And so that was his way of his way of showing his love and to take care of it was send Christ. And when he sent Christ for us, he took my rebellion, my sin and placed it on Christ. And when he placed it on Christ, 
the full wrath of God was placed on Christ. And then whoever believes the righteousness of Christ gets taken off of Christ and gets put onto me. The gospel is some deep stuff when you really understand it. And the gospel, a proper understanding of it leads to change in your life. I had another conversation um, with a team that was last year. And one thing they said, they felt like they were stuck in their Christianity. Like they felt like there was no spiritual growth going on and they were just you know, stuck in that. And I'm sure everybody has felt that way at some point in time in their life. Some of you may still be feeling that even right now. And so what we're going to what we want to deal with today is how can we not be stuck as spiritual babies? So we're going to look at justification and sanctification. Some of you guys might even know the terms that I'm using, so I'm going to kind of define the terms just so you guys can understand it. Justification means to declare righteous or to render just. Romans 5.16 says this, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What Adam did at the beginning brought condemnation, but Jesus' gift brought us justification. We were declared right. Remember, our sin got placed onto him, and then his righteousness gets placed onto those who believe. And the thing that we want to deal with today, the problem we want to tackle, is that I, th- I believe a lot of Christians are just content with being justified, just content with being born again. They're, they're content with just being fed and playing with toys just like that guy was up there. Sucking on a pacifier, you know, getting the bottle with the diaper on. And we're just content that our spiritual life is there. And we don't want to move on to sanctification. But that was not Jesus' purpose. And this is what sanctification is. The process of becoming holy or pure. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5 says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. How many of you guys have ever asked the question, what is the will of God for my life? Here's one of them right there. Your sanctification. See, the will for your life, remember, isn't just to make you a convert or just to justify you, but it's to take you from justification to sanctification also. It says that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor and not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. See, sanctification is the process of becoming holy and pure, and the word holy means to be set apart. We shouldn't act like the Gentiles who don't know God. You know, there's more uh, in this passage, but I just wanted to, touch, I wanted to touch on that the will of God is for your sanctification. There should be a process of you were here, and now you are moving this way. This is where the world's at, and you started here, and there should be a process of you moving away from there. If you're still where the world's at, that means there's no spiritual growth. So let's look at some examples of uh, some people. First is Paul. Paul coined the phrase to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And listen to what he says, Philippians 1, 21 through 24. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, what, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Listen to Paul's mindset. 
His mindset says, his mindset says living is Christ, but dying is gain. He says if he's going to, he doesn't even know which one he wants, really. He says, because I know that dying is far better. Like, how many of our mindsets are like that? Is that I want to die because he knows the result of dying is he's going to be with Christ, which is far better than living. But he says he's hard-pressed between the two only for one reason. It's not saying, well, I want to stay here, so I want to, you know, have some kids, have a nice house. You know, I want to, you know, hang out, have some cars. I have some things to do. He says, no. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says, if I stay, it's fruitful labor for me. But to remain in the flesh is, is far more necessary on your account. Wow, that's, that's powerful. Here's Jim Elliott. Most of you guys know who Jim Elliott is. If you don't know, I'll give you just a quick um, overview of who he was. He was a, a missionary, and he, he coined the phrase, he is no fool to give up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Now, he was a missionary, and um, God gave him a, a desire for this people this uh, people group, um, I forget what their name, their name was, but um, they were a violent group of tribal people. And he had a heart for them, and he knew that him going to them could mean his life. And he went anyway, him and a group of, um, of friends that he was with. And they went there, and he got killed. The cool thing, the cool part about this story is, was his wife. Because his wife, after her, his, her husband was killed, went back. And she actually reached those people. Now think about this. You know, you think about the stuff that's going on in Harrisburg. There's been a lot of shootings lately in Harrisburg. You know, I had a who was shot just uh, last November. And so I'm going into Harrisburg to reach Harrisburg, and I get shot. How many wives would say, I'm going into Harrisburg to reach them? That's, I mean, that mindset is crazy. You know, and his wife showed an example, a mature view of the gospel. Here's what Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That's what Jim Elliott's phrase means. He is no fool to give up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Nothing in this life we can keep. We can't keep our own very lives. We can't keep the stuff that we have. There's nothing that we can keep. So you're not a fool to give that up to gain Christ. Because Christ is something you can never lose. A mature view. And how about the believers in Acts? Acts uh, chapter 2, 44 through 45 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And in chapter 4, it, uh, it reads this, Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and distributed it to, to any that had need. Why are we not like this? 
Why do we not look at life as to live is Christ and die is gain? Why don't we look at life like Jim Elliott says, um, he is no fool to give up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose? Why don't we look at our stuff and our possessions in such a way that it's like, this is not my own. I can't keep it anyway, so why don't I make sure that everybody else is okay? You know, and here they were talking about the believers in the church. They say, look, nothing is mine. If there's anybody that's in the church, I'm going to make sure that everybody's okay in the church. But here's a, going a little step further. Mary Beth's doing a safe families thing. How many of us think, oh, I'm not letting anybody else into my home. This is my place. This is my stuff. That's not how the believers in Acts, that's not how they thought about it. They sold their stuff and said, here, distribute it as we need. Why, why don't we think this way? What is so different about them? How many of us can say that in our maturity that we're to a level of a Paul or we're to the level of of the Jim Elliot or the believers in Acts? How many of us can say that? So what's different? The difference is the power of the Holy Spirit. These people lived by the power of the Spirit. And so before we get into this, I want to make sure there's some, some bases that are covered. And so we're going to look at what happened at justification just to make sure everybody's on the same page. So what happened at justification? There was an old man, then there became a new man. You know, you were dead, you became alive. You know, so you like my art, I'm very proud of it. Um, And just had the sin nature. That's it. You could do nothing but be in rebellion against God. You were not righteous. The Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we're at with the old man. But what happens is when we start, we believe Christ, something else is added to the equation. That's the Holy Spirit. And see, we still have that sin nature, but we also have the Holy Spirit. Uh, Craig Etter always uses the term of, uh, of the two dogs. You have two dogs now. The one you feed the most is the one that's going to win. And so, it's whether it's your sin nature or whether it's your Holy Spirit, the one that is fed the most is the one that's going to win. Listen to this in Galatians five sixteen through 17. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So these two forces that are here, they're not just neutral. They're not just both there. They're at war with each other. So think about if you have two dogs that always want to fight. Which dog is going to win? The one that's more, the healthiest, the one that is the strongest, the one that's being fed more. And I, I truly believe that in everything that we do, we're feeding one or the other. We're either feeding the, the flesh or we're feeding the spirit. And the one that gets fed more is the one that's going to win those battles. And I believe a reason why a lot of us don't look like Paul and we don't look like, and I'm talking about myself too, that we don't look like the believers in Acts and all those different things is because we are not feeding the spirit as much as we should. We're not being led by the spirit 
as much as we should be. So there's the Holy Spirit. There's two things about the Holy Spirit I want to talk about. There's the receiving of the Spirit, and there's being filled with the Spirit. When I talk about being filled with the Spirit, I'm not talking about this thing that comes over you that makes you go out of control and fall over and do that kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. Receiving the Spirit is, if you look at the bottom, it says receiving is what happened at every believer at salvation. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, And who has put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's kind of like when you pre-order something. Has anybody ever pre-ordered something? Or you've ordered something online and you have to wait for it to be shipped? The receiving of the Holy Spirit is kind of like that confirmation number you get when you order it. Yes, we're not at salvation yet, but the Holy Spirit is what seals us, what guarantees our salvation, that once we die and we go to the, and we go to the judgment seat of Christ, it's like, you're good and you're in. You know, it's that, it's that confirmation number. So that's what happens to every believer at salvation. You get that confirmation number that says, yes, you have been purchased. Jesus' blood is on you. Being filled with the Spirit is something different. Ephesians 5.18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And filled is being controlled or led by the Spirit. And like, I don't know if anybody's ever been drunk before. You know, before I was a believer, I've been drunk. And what happens is when you're drunk, the alcohol is what's controlling you. It's not you. You're not thinking straight. You're not in your right mind. It's the alcohol that's controlling you. And I've known that when I've looked back on things after I've been drunk, I was like, man, that was stupid. Why did I do that? You end up doing things you normally wouldn't do in a right sound mind. And so they use this in contrast to say just as the alcohol is controlling you, being filled with the spirit is that the spirit is controlling you. And guess what? You end up doing things you normally wouldn't do. But this time it's in a good sense. Because if you look at the fruit of the spirit, it talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's not normal. You know, somebody looking at death as gain isn't normal. Somebody ready to sell all their possessions to give up for everybody else is not normal. So when you're filled with the spirit and you're living by the spirit and it's controlling you, you end up doing things you normally wouldn't do. So the question is. All right, I understand that I have these two dogs, and I understand that they're at war with each other. So how do I feed the new dog? Romans 12, 2 says, says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. perfect. Spiritual growth starts with feeding the spirit. Because our minds have been trained one way. And we need our minds renewed. And the way our minds are renewed is by feeding. You think about being here at church today, being in Sunday school, doing small groups, coming Wednesday night, doing your own personal study. That's being fed. And it starts, and that's where spiritual growth starts. Now think about a baby. I'm about to have my six, so I think I'm kind of like an expert at babies. So you think about a baby. When a baby comes out and it's born... It needs what? Fed. And it needs fed constantly. I think it's like almost like every two and a half to three hours, it just constantly 
needs food for it to keep nourished. So spiritual growth starts with feeding the spirit. Remember, you know, um, when Nicodemus talked to Jesus and Jesus said, you need to be born again. So when at justification, we were born again. So now we're spiritual babies that constantly need fed. And so spiritual growth starts with feeding the spirit. But then it doesn't stop there because spiritual growth is sustained by abiding in Christ. Look at uh, John five, four to six. Jesus is saying to the disciples, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And here Jesus is given an example of, you know, if, you, if, the, if the vine is taken away, I'm sorry, if the branch is taken away from the vine, it's not going to bear fruit at all. I mean, just think about um, my kid, Dominic. He's just over two years old. So he's been fed pretty good for the past two years. That's enough, right? You can just stop feeding him now. What's going to happen? Say it. What's going to happen? He's going to die. I'm 33. I'm about to be 33 years old. I've eaten pretty well for my life. I even gained some pounds over the past couple years. What happens if I stop eating? I'm going to die. And just... And it's just the same way spiritually. If we don't continually be fed, we're going to die. We're not going to, the, the old dog is going to win. You can't just, you know, be good for a good four or five years. Again, yeah, I read the Bible three times and I'm good now. Or I've been fed, you know, this. No, it's continually. You have to abide in Christ. That word abide means to, to dwell or to stay or to remain. It's kind of like, you know, I abide in my home. That's where I belong. That's where I am. And so if you look at the spirit of God, I said the spirit I've written here, the spirit of God enabled Paul, Jim Elliott and the believers in Acts to see Christ as who he really is. You know, in Matthew 13, 44 and 45, it talks it talks about two things. It talks about the kingdom of God being like a treasure in the field. You guys remember that where it says, you know, he saw it. Went away, sold all his stuff to go get that, get that field, to buy the field. Why? Because he knew how, how much worth that treasure was. It was, so much, it was worth so much more than everything that he had. And in the same way, he talks about the pearl of great prize. He saw Christ as so much more, worth so much more than everything that we have. And that's what, when you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will enable you to start seeing Christ in that same way. Jesus said this, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. And that's just, that's when you have the spirit of God working in you and you are filled with the spirit. You start seeing things in a proper perspective. So what does a mature or a sanctified life look like? And so I'm going to really touch on Paul because I want, want you guys to really get a picture of Paul because when you, look, when you read through the epistles that Paul wrote, I mean, like, his, his mindset is totally far away from mine. Like, that's what, I mean, I want to have that kind of mindset for him because he's writing some of these things in prison and, and all these things. And so 
Look at Philippians 3, 4 through 8. And then really, really concentrate on the things that he is saying. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Oh, how'd that happen? All right, sorry. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Here's Paul saying, in his culture, the listing of all those things meant that Paul was the man. He had everything. He's like, look, you want to boast in the stuff that you have and who you are? I have way more reason to boast than you do. You know, if you want to look at it, look, I went to the right school. I was born in the right family, got a right, good inheritance. You know, I got a nice house. I got a nice wife. He's just saying, like, I got all this stuff. If you want to boast, I have more reason to boast. But here's the cool part of this. He says, but whatever gain I had, so all the stuff that you know, you're counting as important, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. That word rubbish literally means dung. He counts this stuff as dung. It's something that's not even fit for a human. All the stuff that you in the world that we say is, you know, what makes somebody, you know, successful in this life. Paul counts it as dung compared to the worth of knowing Christ. Remember, we talked in the verses that it says where the kingdom of God is. You go sell all your stuff to go buy that field. Paul had that mindset. That's what a mature, sanctified life looks like is we put things in a proper perspective. We see Christ for who he is and his worth. and We see the things of this world and his worth. And that word rubbish means dung. Because that's what they are. So the question is, how do I do this? How do you do this? The first, the first step, it starts with prayer. Because we can do nothing on our own. You know, when John talked about last week, he says, why is prayer last? So I'm not putting prayer last, I'm putting prayer first. So what do we do? The first thing we need to do is pray. John 5.30, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Jesus wasn't seeking his own will. He was seeking the will of the Father. And so this is Jesus. And who was God? Say, look, I'm not seeking my own will here on this earth. I'm seeking the will of the Father. Ephesians 3.14-18 through 18 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God." Here's the Apostle Paul saying, look, I bow my knees to God that you might be strengthened with power through the spirit of God. So you would understand what is the breadth, the length, the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We have to get on our knees and we have to go before God and says, Lord, please show me what Jesus is worth. Lord, help me to understand what is 
the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Show me, Lord, who he is. The second thing is we have to be opposed to all hindrances. And so I brought this backpack because everybody carries a backpack in their life. This verse says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. and Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. It's like, look, some of us, we all carry a backpack and we're called to run this race. But what we do is we start adding things to the backpack, whether it's work or family or entertainment or whatever it is. But there is stuff that is just distracting us from Christ. There are things, and this is why it says there's sin that is clinging so closely. If I put this on and I just keep adding things on and keep adding things on, keep adding things on and just say I want to run this race, how effective am I going to be at running this race? Not very effective. I have to get some of this stuff out of the book bag. I was like, look, that's weighing me down. That's weighing me down. It might be TV at home. It might be your job. It might be, I don't know what it is, people you hang out with. It might be something, but there is something that is clinging to us so closely and distracting us from Jesus. And Paul had the mindset, is like, look, there is nothing that's going to distract me from Jesus. And the last thing is going to be, you have to be single-minded. Philippians 3, 12 through 15 says, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, and that's where single-mindedness comes in. Paul's saying, look, there is one thing that I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He said, there's one thing I do. And I just think about, again, if you want to use the analogy of a race. If I'm distracted by, by the crowd, or I'm distracted by the persons who's second place, I'm not running as effectively. He said, there is one thing I do. I see Christ and I'm running to Christ. I don't care what else is around me. Being single minded, there is one thing that I do. See, Paul's pursuit was not just one of the many things in his life. It was not a factor in just one part of a tightly compartmentalized life. No, it was all of his life. There was one thing he did, and that was to seek after knowing Christ. Everything in his life was determined by whether or not it would help him meet that goal and gain a prize. I think so many of us as Americans, we we put our our lives in these boxes. And so I have single-minded up there, and and this is what a compartmentalized life looks like. and, And a lot of times, if I put this up here and said, these are the priorities in my life, a lot of people would be like, yep, you're right. That's good. Jesus is first. He's number one. Then it's my spouse. Then it's our children. Then it's a ministry or job. Then there's entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. You'd be like, you know what? You have your priorities in order. But what happens here is when we do things like this, 
we'd be like, okay, here's my Jesus time. Then my spa- there's my spouse time. And then there's my children time. And it's all boxed off. When a single-minded life, their priority should look like this. And I don't know if you guys can see the words in there, but here's Jesus. Jesus is the big circle. And everything else in life should be inside that circle. And it should be encompassed by Jesus, whether it's spouse, children. Yes, my spouse gets a bigger chunk than my children gets a bigger, bigger, a next bigger chunk, and so on and so forth. But Jesus is over everything else. And so what happens here, when you do this kind of life over here, in your relationship with spouse, Jesus has nothing to do with it. On your children, Jesus has nothing to do with it. Your job or ministry, well, hopefully, if you're doing ministry, that Jesus is a part of it. But in a job... You know, Jesus isn't a part of it. And the big thing, entertainment, I know Jesus isn't a lot of entertainment. It's probably the biggest place where we keep Jesus out of it is in our entertainment. But over here, the way this is like, it's like, you know what? Yeah, I have entertainment, but you know what? Jesus is over it. Yeah, I do ministry or have a job. Jesus is over it. Jesus is a part of everything that is in our lives. It's not just a part. He is all of it. And everything else that I do, the one thing I do is go hard after Christ. Everything else that happens in my life is all part of Christ. Christ is a part of all everything else that I do in my life. If we can live by the spirit, the fruit of the spirit will cultivate in us and we won't live by the flesh and we'll see incredible growth in our life. You want growth in your life. You don't want to be an adult baby. We have to live by the spirit. And so here's here's my challenge. Challenge is for the next two weeks, get on your knees daily and ask God to change your desires. Ask Him to guide you throughout your life. Get into His Word. Ask Him to ask Him to fill you with His Spirit as you live these next two weeks, and see if there's any growth. I know there's going to be growth if you are faithfully going before the Lord, saying, "Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you." And you are feeding the spirit. You know, you're opposing all hindrances and you are single minded saying there is one thing I'm going to do. You do those things. There are going to be incredible growth in your life. And I was and pray the fruit of the spirit over your life. And the fruit of the spirit is found in Galatians 5, 22 to 25. And I'm just going to read this. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we have been given the Holy Spirit, let us live by it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much, God, for your love for us. Lord, we just thank you for your word, Lord, to challenge us, Lord. But we thank you for examples like the Apostle Paul, Lord, and um, Jim Elliott, Lord, Lord, the, the early believers in Acts, God. We just, Lord, help us, Lord, in filling us with your spirit, God. Lord, let your spirit just work in us in such a way, God, that there is a clear, distinct difference from us than anybody else. Lord, that our light will shine in the darkness bright, brighter and brighter, God. Lord, as we leave today, God, I pray, Lord, that it's, it's not something that we just heard, God, but that we were listening and there is understanding, God. We pray for a spiritual maturity. 
And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.